Hello, good day, and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined today by one of Arena's preeminent blue mages, the actual factual domestic partner to none other than Teferi himself. It is Cobra Go Blue. How are you doing today, CGB? Teferi's married, dude. Is he married? Don't know if you know this. He's got wife. Well, that's why you're the domestic partner. <laughs> what? No, I'm married. Let's go there instead. <laughs> I, I have wife. The rumors must be dispelled. Like, counter those instant rumors. Yeah, I'm, I'm spreading disinformation. I would, I would like to place a mystical dispute with this information. Yeah, well, my sublime epiphany's got something to say about that. Heyo! So, speaking of which, Standard has been getting interesting lately. We are hot off the heels of an SCG tour event this weekend, which I think is kind of going to have to take the place of, like, our typical, what we got used to in the past with Magic, which was, like, the week one Pro Tour event. You miss it? I miss it. Seriously, I do. I I miss it a lot right now. (laughs) Yeah, it was so much fun to like have a fresh format at a high competitive level. I just feel like that was like it was super exciting for the viewers and it was super motivating for the pros. So yeah, so the SCG event took the place of that. We also have had some some other small tournaments recently, but we are going to focus a little bit on the SCG this week as well as just talking about in in fair and good arena craft tradition this kind of first week standard evaluation that you and i have done for every set since i started the show yeah i'm excited to dive into that anything anything notable before we just grab the ball by the horns yeah uh just on the note of those tournament changes i just i i know we don't want to do a show about this but i have legitimately been missing not attending and playing Paper Magic, because I haven't done that in a very long time. I probably would if I had been. But I am really missing watching competitive Paper Magic. And I never thought that would be the case. I was so excited when Arena launched, and at the Mythic Invitational, its big coming-out party at PAX East last year, I was like, man, this is the future. You got the people's in-person's reaction, but the smooth digital client, it was easy to follow everything that was going on. Like, just the last few months, I I just watch old Pro Tour footage, and I just remember everything had so much more gravity, you know? It it felt like everything was so much more important. Like, it's, it's hard to describe, but if you go back, and I'm watching Magic Pro Tour 2015 for Corset 2015, that's what I'm watching right now, like, everything just felt so... Like, there was so much weight behind it. The decisions were intense. The battles were close. The cards were interesting. The format had a lot of different decks. And it's like, man, I want... I just want a little of that back. I really do. I'm with you. I really miss watching, like, paper tabletop high-stakes magic. I mean, just the feeling of being there with the players was a big deal. Some of the problems of the production values, like maybe the life totals not getting updated all the time or various things like that. But just like 
you know, one of the things I really miss is that it actually takes a lot of skill to just handle a game of tabletop magic. You know what I mean? To like, to not miss your triggers, to keep track of everything, to keep track of your board state, and to be able to do it all in like a timely manner is like, it's an aspect of magic that I think gets forgotten these days. And it's like, you know, there, there are certain people who actually have like showmanship while they're playing magic, right? And that yeah. comes across a lot in person. And so, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I miss that too. I really hope that we're going to see a return to it when it's possible again, because it would be yeah. really sad if that, if that just died altogether. I like watching tournaments in arena too. There's benefits to that, definitely. But like, sometimes it's just like watching another stream for me. You know what I mean? Like, there's no difference. It's just like I'm watching my favorite streamer on a Saturday, but instead of it being their random have fun stream, it's a high stakes tournament, you know? But the, the format looks so similar that it's kind of hard to tell the difference. Yeah, uh, I do want to give props a CG. You know, they weren't like Channel Fireball, like a week or so after the COVID cancellations really took hold, was outrunning some qualifiers. SCG canceled a lot of events, didn't really do much on the tournament side. Now it seems they're stepping in, hosting pretty big events that we're going to get to cover and give us an idea of the meta. So props to them. They're, they're here for us. I appreciate it. It does feel a lot like watching just another stream though and most of the interaction we get that has any kind of personality or flair is seeing cards light up so um i think they did a great thing they got patrick sullivan and cedric phillips back to get not together but you know what i mean on the booth on the call and they are the best of the best so that's one thing i want to go back and watch yeah excellent yeah definitely recommend it if you missed it this weekend so why don't we talk about it i just wanted to say Okay, so there's a number of fun things about this tournament. I think the first thing that we have to mention is that the tournament was taken down by Aaron Diaz playing not one, but two main deck copies of Sublime Epiphany in a freaking Team of Reclamation deck. Taste that, haters. <laughs> I... All right, but go on, say say your piece. It was it was something else. It was something else watching that card get resolved in standard. Now now we did see it get mystical disputed a few times, which was painful. I'm not gonna lie, it was painful. But we also saw it deliver just <laughs> utter beatings as well. So, and if there's any deck that's gonna do it, it's gonna be the deck that has access to roughly a billion mana, right? So I think that the the Tima reclamation shell is probably the best shell to be playing it in at the moment so that that was really exciting we're going to talk about that deck list in a moment the other thing i just wanted to mention was this tweet that i saw from eric hawkins today saying mono green might just be the best deck in standard and you know i think that this is something like we've been watching the kind of quiet ascension of mono green on the ladder, it's been, you know, Rint just top for the Red Bull Russia event using the deck. It's had, an, I think it reached the semifinals of um, tournament last weekend. I'm trying to remember the uh, CFB Pro tournament. So this just, as a, as a mono green mage, it warms the cockles of my heart. And I don't know, CGB, is it time to call mono green tier one in standard right now? 
it is another week in on the arena craft podcast and here we are yet again going back to having another mono green love fest with <laughs> right from the get-go one tweet goes out somebody top fours an event somebody says it might be the best deck in standard oh my gosh <laughs> I, but um all right okay yes i will say that mono green could be the best aggro deck mm, if yeah. you're following that i think that's fair and i don't think i can i just don't think i can consider it the best deck in, in standard because i don't know of anybody who builds their deck trying to beat mono green i i never do i don't know of any like i look at these lists and you've sent some of them to me, and we're going to go over them. And I'm reading these cards, and you could say Aethergust is them de- trying to beat Mono Green. I think we all knew that when Mono Green was a, not even present in the meta, people were still all very high on Aethergust. So I don't think that's it. Outside of Aethergust, I don't see effort being paid to beat this deck. I see effort being paid to beat a lot of other decks that are still Tier 1. I think that what mono green is is the great hope that there's an aggro juke in a format that seems to be lacking one and i think mono green is also and you can tell me more about this and where i'm right and where i'm wrong but my impression of the deck is that whether it's jund with witches oven and trailer crumbs and citadel whether it's bant with elspeth conquers death or whether it's team reclamation with wilderness reclamation they're all cards that can take a gem re- a gem razor beating like they're all gem razor blowout susceptible and it's the best way to punish those things if people don't respect your deck and like i said i don't think anybody's trying to beat mono green can a deck be tier one with nobody trying to beat it in theory yes in theory, I still just don't believe it. Well, one of the questions I have to ask is how how much tournament success and how high do you have to go to in order to be considered a tier one deck, right? Because that's my question. I feel like, is it going to take winning a tournament for Mono Green to be considered one of the better decks in the format? I don't know. I just like, I think that it has had enough top finishes recently that I'm starting to consider it as a real player in standard. It's one of it's one of the better decks, and it's a good aggro deck. Which the aggro decks are pretty atrocious. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's winning, it's winning at attacking, and uh, I I have no problem saying that. But I mean, can we like go into it if you want to? Why is mono green better than it was two weeks ago? Well, you know, that that's an interesting thing to answer. And I think that maybe if we if we go through some of these other decks that are being played, we can, you know, we can kind of tease that out a little bit. But I think that the deck one of the one of the big things that I've been seeing is that scavenging ooze is just a house in the current standard. And we're seeing a couple main deck copies of that card in other decks, but Mono Green is the only deck that I've seen so far that's just all in on main decking four of them because it just makes sense for the game plan, right? Um, it's just one of the stronger two drops in the format right now. And so um, I think that that's part of the success. I also agree with you that, so like for example, I've been seeing a lot of this Mono Black on the ladder and that's being kind of touted as one of the stronger monocolor aggro decks in the format. And if my experience is anything to go by, Mono Green has just been eating that deck alive 
they have a hard time beating a scavenging ooze. Gem Razor can just come out of nowhere and, and knock your enchanted creature out of the sky. It also bodies mono red a lot of the time. So I think it being kind of like the apex predator of aggro decks, which I think I'm I'm ready to go ahead and say that's the case. <laughs> um, I think the, that, that puts mono green pretty far ahead. I think Eric Hawkins is probably being a little hyperbolic with with his tweet but i just wanted to mention that the deck is just like it's moving higher up the charts and i think the people should start taking it seriously how does one do that like what how does do it that's the other thing that i look at mono green and i'm like okay if we want to respect mono green what should we play that beats it and i look at the cards in a lot of these decks whether it's you know claim the firstborn or whether it's elspeth conquers death and shatter the sky or Aethergust, and I'm like, it, it seems like most of these decks are already playing tools that are really good against you. And I think that's part of the aggro conundrum. Like, there's so many cards that just make aggro so miserable. If you really wanted to beat green even more, like, do you play more Storm's Wrath? That also seems like a huge beating. Um, so, I don't know. How, how is it against Ugin? I guess you need a Stone Coil Serpent. Yeah, you know, I think it's just like so many other things. It's like asking how do you beat Team Erek, right? The answer is, you know, you put in some cards in your deck that are good against it, and then you just hope that tight play and luck gets you there, you know? I think that that's like the real... You could try to hard target the deck, but to be honest, a deck that goes like turn one Pelt Collector into turn through turn to anything and you know and just like keeps putting these threats on the board and then has finishes like questing beast like uh the ceratops sometimes you just can't get there against them you know what i mean it's like you could play an answer every turn of the game and you're just not going to be fast enough and your life total is going to keep dwindling and they're just going to get you right it's kind of like playing against mono red it's like you can have answers, but like if they have that perfect curve into Embercleave, they might still get you. So I'm not suggesting that people warp the meta around this deck or, or try to beat it further. I just think that it's... I think people have thought of it as kind of like the meme that could for a while. And I just think that like more and more people are starting to think of it as a real deck in the meta. I, I think it's reasonable that it be the underdog because I think that's its best shot. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's perfectly fine. Careful what you wish for. People respect <laughs> it. You might have a really bad time. All right. Well, I think that that's been enough enough time devoted to Mono Game for this particular episode. Let's talk about this SCG event. We're going to look at a couple of deck lists here. Let's take a look at this winning deck list by Aaron Diaz. This is a Team of Reclamation list. And this list, if you're used to playing Team of Rec, there's a lot of eyebrow raises in this list. So let's start right at the top. This is a Chris Kavatek style reclamation list, starting with four Nissa Who Shakes the World main deck. If that doesn't tell you something about this deck, I don't know what will. No one else that I know of recently has been playing Nissa in their reclamation decks. So that's that's pretty sweet. Another interesting thing that I see this deck doing is it it's running two main deck copies of Joel Rail Mwanvuli Recluse, which has typically been considered more of a Bant card in this meta so far. So that's really cool. And then as an additional ramp package and one of the many ways in this deck that you can actually turn on Joel Rail, they're also running two copies of Lanawar Visionary. We've got four copies of Oro, three copies of Wilderness Reclamation, 
four growth spirals, four expansion explosion, four mystical dispute, two ether gusts. None of that is particularly surprising or radical. But then at the top end, two copies of Sublime Epiphany, along with 29 lands. So this is like quite a revolutionary take on this archetype. I'm seeing 10 cards in the main deck, which are not cards you would ordinarily see run in this list. This deck took down the tournament, by the way. This deck took down multiple copies of Bant in the top eight. Uh, it took down a couple of aggro decks. We had uh, mono green aggro. We had mono red aggro. And uh, there was also a copy of Saltai in the top eight. So this, this deck beat them all. So I'm just curious, as someone who didn't watch the tournament, CGB, how do you process this list? So the Chris Kavartek thing is from Worlds, where he played for Nissa Who Shakes the World in Team of Reclamation. He didn't play any Storm's Wrath because of that. That was the big sacrifice at the time. This version of the deck has three Storm's Wrath and two Flame Sweeps in the sideboard. So there's much more respect paid to aggro, but only in the sideboard. The made deck The main deck just pretends aggro doesn't exist in the meta, which is reasonable considering the things that we talked about with two Aether Gusts and four Mystical Dispute. That's right. No no hard removal in the main deck, right? This is a Nissa deck first, right? I mean, it's four Nissa, three Wilderness Reclamation. This is a big mana deck, but it's not trying to ramp into Planeswalkers. It's trying to ramp into Epic Spells, Giant Explosion being four of them, but you know, it doesn't want to run out of things to do with its mana. Hydrid Crisis is just another body with a few more cards. It wants to be able to really cement its position in the game. And what do we have? We have Sublime Epiphany taking a spot up there. I mean, this the idea, the, the case against Sublime Epiphany is Mystical Dispute and that it's slow. So when you put it in a deck that makes more mana than the opponent's, and plays four mystical disputes of its own, so it can dispute the dispute on the epiphany when it comes to that. This this deck is going to have more mana than you, it's going to have mystical dispute as well, and it's going to have sublime epiphanies, which you probably don't have. So when you try to cast something big tap out, like Ugin or Yorion, it's going to counter you, and it's going to get further ahead, and then it's going to just destroy you with Nyssa or blow you out of the game with Explosion. So this is... This deck is going way over the top. It's going over the top of other Reclamation decks with Nyssa. It's going over the top of Bant decks with Explosion. It's going over the top of Sacrifice decks with both. Um, And the Sublime Epiphany is just... It's another tool for that arsenal. The Llanowar Visionaries are really smart. They not only proc the Joriel, but they ramp you to Nyssa, but they are also a body you can copy with Epiphany that this deck is, for the most part, missing. So making a copy of a Visionary is big play. It's what my Sublime Epiphany deck was very much built around, so I love it. And Joriel is really good in Reclamation. This is something I've been messing with. I have a Reclamation deck with four Joriels in it right now. Um, because Reclamation is used to having to be defensive, especially in best of one, like against aggro and things like that. But if you just play a Joriel and you add a 2-2 body to all the cards that you wanted to play anyway, like suddenly you can just straight either, either you keep up with their resources just fine or you can beat down. And that is something that a lot of people aren't ready for. So this deck is, this, this is the go big in the big, go big format deck is what I'm looking at here. Yeah, I also like, I think a rec deck is one of the decks more likely to turn on Jolrail on the opponent's turn as well. Mm-hmm. So yes. 
explosion does it yeah so if you can get if you can like oro on your turn and get a 2-2 and then explosion on your opponent's turn and get another 2-2 mid combat right like your opponent declares attacks and you kill one of their attackers and make a 2-2 okay that's a fancy play that might not actually happen in the real world but that's just the kind of thing you could be doing and then here's the here's the pattern people forget about like the joriel has more text yes yes green green four all creatures you control have base power and toughness equal to the number of cards in your hand. So how much was that explosion for? <laughs> was it for five? Because if it is, you can probably untap and base power and toughness all your creatures to like seven sevens. I did 11 elevens the other day. Yeah. It doesn't take many cat tokens to kill somebody when they're all 11 elevens. No. It's, no. It, this is probably the best deck for that extra text on the card. One of the things that we didn't really think about when we first evaluated Joel Rail is how insane of a combo it is with Nissa who shakes the world. So Nissa does two things for Joel Rail. First of all, it makes that six mana cost of Joel Rail's activated ability a lot less painful. Mm-hmm. And the second thing it does is that if you think about the Nissa lands, they are zero zero creatures that get three three counters on them, right? So imagine, let's say you have like you've animated two or three Nissa lands. They're three, three, you know, they're zero, zero creatures with, with three counters on them each, right? And then let's say you just have a modest four cards in hand and you activate that ability and all of a sudden you have three seven sevens. So, mm-hmm. and you can do that at instant speed, by the way. So I think it just like, it makes blocking hard for your opponents. It makes attacking into your lands hard for your opponents if you have the mana untapped, which are more likely to with Wilderness Reclamation. You could even do something in this deck like you could attack, pump the team, untap your mana with reclamation and have it available for blocks on your opponent's turn so i mean it's just like the more that you look at the cards in this list they just combo so nicely together nissa potentially doubles your mana for an even bigger expansion explosion that it makes sublime epiphany more castable so uh, this is a really inspired deck i think and if someone isn't going to go under this deck then it's very hard to imagine winning against it pop quiz play it on me Sublime Epiphany copies a land that has been animated by Nyssa. What do you get? Uh, what do you get? I think you get a zero zero creature that... Oh, no, 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 no. I... Okay, I know the answer to this. <laughs> Only because I saw it happen. I would have thought you would have get... gotten a zero zero creature that died, but you actually just get a copy of that land, right? Yes. So in my case, I copied a forest, and I just had a, a token forest, not a creature. Yeah. Just free forest to go with my <laughs> Which is starting to become kind of your signature CGB, is like casting expensive spells that leave you with a copy of a basic land. <laughs> Thanks. I guess that is one way to see my daily efforts. <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, um, I definitely recommend going and watching the replays of this tournament because this deck is just, it's a pleasure to behold, and it certainly delivered a metric stomping on these Bant decks in particular. Let's take a look at one such example. The second place, Bant List by Nicholas Price. Now, a lot of the people in this tournament were playing lists that looked very, very similar, so I think that people have arrived on a, like, uh, close to stock list it's what croak it's croakies is it the croakies list okay pretty close do you want to read us through this list that we're looking at really quick one may be stunned to learn there are four copies of teferi time raveler in this fant list 
Moving on from there, we have three copies of Nissa Who Shakes the World, two Teferi Master of Time, a single Ugin the Spirit Dragon, three copies of Uro, three copies of Joriel, two copies of Hydroid Crisis, a single Scavenging Ooze, four copies of Shark Typhoon, three Elspeth Conquers Death, two Shatter the Sky, four Growth Spiral, and 28 Lands. And um, I think the divergence here from what Crokies was doing is he had two Scavenging Ooze and two Joriels, and in their place are the two Shark Typhoons. It was like two Shark Typhoons instead of four. So the only big difference is Nicholas Price went up on Shark Typhoon. That's the only difference I can see. And then uh, we have Devout Decrees and Shadow Skies, Aether Gust, Dovin's Veto, Mystical Dispute, Narset, one Scavenging Ooze, and a Heliod's Intervention in the sideboard. So... Um, for somebody who's been watching the top streams and looking at the top deck lists for the last week going into this, this is the no spice, no fun, uh, entrant in these tournaments that I've been seeing over and over, uh, almost exactly this list. You know, one of the things that stands out to me most about, and this was true of every band list in the top eight, they're all running one copy of Ugin, the spirit dragon in the 75. So we're not bringing them in from the board, and I'm guessing they're probably boarding them out in a number of matchups. So I think that that might be surprising for people who haven't been really following the format closely because, you know, this is kind of the top end. This is like the game winner. This is the thing that you ramp into, right? So Let me, let me read you. I can read you a tweet on this. Do you want me to? Yeah, lay it on me. So, uh, like I said, Crokies has pretty much been playing this deck and succeeding at a very high level with it, like top 100 Mythics, since like the day the set came out. And he's been saying the whole time Ugin is, you know, it's another card, it's a tool, it's not a build-around. And this is, this is the exact tweet from 20 hours ago. PSA, Ugin is nothing more than an average playable card. An option for your deck, don't build around it. And, I mean... He's got the pedigree at this point. He was one of the originators of Bant Ramp in that we've become used to back in like February. And he's one of the most watched he is the watched magic the most watched magic stream right now. And he's been really high on the mythic ladder. And like we keep seeing this list over and over, and I I think he's right at this point. I think the harder you go on Ugin, the more vulnerable you are to counter magic and to people who just game plan against it and do so very well. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, well, and, and here's another thing to note is that in this particular list, he's running 10 Planeswalkers. That's a lot of Planeswalkers. And I think that in a deck that where your goal is to establish hopefully two or more Planeswalkers, maybe get an Elspeth Conquer's Death onto the board, you've got a surprising number of colored permanents that you would really like to keep on the board. And so I think that that makes a choice like Ugin a lot worse of a top end in this deck. You know, And I, I don't know much about the standards where Ugin was historically played in the past, but I would guess that it was a top end in more of your kind of like... Um, draw-go control deck where Ugin might be the only permanent on the battlefield apart from lands, right? When you cast it on your side. Or maybe you had like a couple artifact enablers or something like that. So it makes sense in a in a list that's not trying to resolve that many permanents to have Ugin as your top end. But when, you know, I mean, 
this list has three Joel rails in it. You know what I mean? Like by the time Ugin comes down, you're fairly likely to have a Joel rail on the field and one or more cats on the field. And you're really not that excited to sweep them away. And spending eight mana to cast a Planeswalker that essentially can lightning bolt any target every turn. Okay, it's fine. I mean, it's a fine thing to have out. It's still a big threat, but it's hardly like the big top end in your list if you're not wanting to use that minus ability. So I can really see the wisdom of not wanting to go overboard on it in a deck like this. That's kind of my take on it. Makes a lot of sense. I I agree. I think that there are other strategies that would push it harder, and this one doesn't need to. If you play well, you always have cards in hand. You can't get beat by an Ugin, and you always have ways to deal with it, whether it's a large shark typhoon or whether it's Elspeth Conquers Death. Seems like the right idea for this style because this style just always has options. Yeah. I mean, Ban, it's just, it's such a strong color combo. This standard, it's historically just been an always. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Bant has just been very strong in general for a long time. And just so many options in this format. I predict that one of the new packages that we're going to start to see until rotation is just decks running Nissa, Joel Rail, Oro, Growth Spiral. Like, I think that that's going to be just a really common package that you're going to see in blue, green, X decks. And I mean, for good reason. It's just, it's a solid package. It's a lot of value. It's a lot of yeah. mana. It's just a lot of everything. Yeah, that's a sweet four pack. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, basically it's just packing a lot of what's good in standard right now. Pretty hard to go wrong with putting any of those cards in your deck. All right, so let's let's move on. I don't want to spend much time on this deck, but I just want to briefly talk about the number three place uh, Saltai Ramp. Why not? It's this package again, right? It, it's the same package, right? So I'll read down this one. It's three Nissas, two Ugins, two Teferi Master of Time, four Krasis, three Oro, two Arboreal Grazer, two Joel Rail, two Shark Typhoon, four Cultivate, which is interesting, two Main Deck Thought Distortion, which I'm guessing is just a metagame call there, uh, four Growth Spiral, two Ether Gust, and 28 Lands. And then the sideboard has just a lot of kind of answery cards, like three extinction events, three casualties of war, mystical dispute, some removal spells, you know, one-off scavenging ooze, stuff like that. So yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. Like this deck is just basically the Sultai version of the same deck is how I think about this deck. I'm actually looking at this main list. Is this person only playing black to play Thought Distortion? Because that's what it looks like to me. Yes. Like Thought Distortion plus plus the sideboard. Yes, Thought Distortion plus some sideboard cards. So this this literally reads to me like someone's hard targeting a Bant and uh, Reclamation Meta. That's what this deck looks like to me. Yeah, there. I mean, let's. there's no sweepers. There's almost no removal, unless you count the two Aethergust and the Ugins in the deck, right? Like, we're just ignoring what the opponent is doing and trying to ramp into Casualties of War. Oh, wait, no, those are in the sideboard. Ramp into Thought Distortion. This deck basically says nobody cares about things that are on the battlefield anymore. The battle is all about having infinite resources in your hand and spells available to you, which is a lot of what Bant and Reclamation are playing for. So yeah, this is a this is a, a super called meta shot that nobody's going to play aggro and 
thought distortion is the actual casualties of war that you want. Yeah, this I think this person is playing thought distortion in the place that Sublime Epiphany was played in that other deck that we were talking about. So that's kind of like that that big top end play. It's almost the same deck otherwise. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Now, I will note that they're running two Ugins, and if you look at the list, you can see why, because this list is very much more friendly to the idea of, of exiling the board. This deck is only playing five uh, non-Ugin Planeswalkers, and if you, you know, the, it's only running two Joel Rails. They're running Cultivate as a as a big ramp package. And so there's just a lot less permanence that this deck's trying to put on the board. And so it's more friendly to that big sweep effect. Four copies of Cultivate, by the way, which is, you know, we've been seeing this card in the format, but this deck is going hard, man. I think three copies of Nissa is the weirdest part for me. I think it makes sense in Bant. I think this deck really needs it, though. Mm, and I'm kind of surprised to see, like, four Crisis and three Nissas. Yeah, I, don't know. I think I agree with you. Crace, so you know what's interesting? Crasis is fine, but I feel like Crasis these days feels more like growth spiral to me than it feels like <laughs> like the big scary Crasis of old. I don't know. I think it's a reflection on how powerful this format is. That like when your opponent untaps with Nissa and resolves a big Crasis, you're kind of like. Oh, thank God. That wasn't as bad as it could have been. <laughs> you, you you aren't playing many decks with burn spells in them then. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> but I just think that Krasis is like when you put Krasis next to some of the other cards in this format, like Oro, even Thought yeah. Distortion, you know, it's just like it's not the boogeyman that it used to be. And I think that more than anything, that's just a reflection on how powerful Standard is right now. I agree. I agree. It, you're not wrong. It's kind of amazing how you're like, oh, thank God. All they did was like gain three life, draw three cards, and make a 6-6 six, six flying trample. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I can recover from this. <laughs> you know, if, if that's where they're going to put that eight mana, I'm, I'm fine with it. All right, so rounding out this top eight, let's take a brief look at Corey Baumeister's mono green aggro list that Wait no 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 you said you said we were done with you said that was enough time for mono green okay no. all right that, okay I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> I'm I'm deliberately giving you a hard time just I would not deprive you of this list, CG. I would not deprive you okay have fun I I honestly just wanted to give you a tough time oh I love it I love it well I'm a mono green mage so my skin is thick it's barkhide troll thick all right so uh, why don't you do us the honors on reading this list here CGB. Uh, d- Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're lucky. You're lucky I'm a good guy. Alright. Three Vivian Arcbo Ranger for the Planeswalker spot. Four Barkhide Trolls. Four Lovestruck Beasts. Four Pelt Collectors. Four Questing Beast. Four Scavenging Ooze. Four Stone Coil Serpent. Two Gem Razor. Two Yorvo. Two Great Henge. Two Ram Through. One Ranger's Guile. 19 forest and 4 castle brig and a mobilized district for 24 total lands. Sideboard, we've got a bunch of, sh- like, the full pack, 4 shifting ceratops, 3 ocam adversary, 2 heroic intervention, 2 ram throughs to complete the set from the main deck, 2 gem razors to, com- to complete the set from the main deck, and 2 garrick unleashed, the, the new garrick sneaking into the sideboard i want to know you can tell me i'm gonna throw this over to you where is the matchup where it's garrick not vivian 
You know, that's a really interesting question. My off the top of the dome thought is probably versus Bant, probably decent. Also versus Rec, to be honest, where like the pump from Vivian is not what's winning you the game. It's probably just keeping threats on the field that's winning you the game. I guess Garrick probably doesn't line up that well against specifically Nightpack Ambusher. But other than that, I think that it's probably pretty good in those matchups. Like the 3-3 blocks those those uh, Nissa tokens and it can just kind of do something more relevant when your opponent's doing a pretty good job of just kind of gusting and dragon firing and just removing all of your permanents. So that would be my guess, but I've not actually played myself with Garrick Unleashed yet. Another thing that seems notably absent to me in this list is the Primal Might, which... You know, a lot of a lot of mono green mages, including myself, have been appreciating that card. So again, it's probably a concession to thinking that aggro is not going to be very good in the format. The higher level you go and the more open deck list a tournament is, the more instant speed is crucial because even if you don't have it, you can bluff it. It's really hard to bluff a sorcery. That's that's a good point. Well, and here's the other thing as well. So Again, specifically in a Nissa meta game, it's so like I've been playing a lot on the ladder with a Selesnia version of this deck, which we talked about before. And one of the main wonderful uses I've found for Ram Through is that your opponent resolves a Nissa and they animate a land and they expect to have that land as a blocker. And if you can just take it out on the end of their turn and then swing in and kill that Nissa, that's a huge game. It often takes everything you've got to get that first Nissa off the battlefield. So you do an end of turn removal spell and then maybe you untap and you cast a hasty threat or maybe another removal spell just to get the job done. But it can be really, really difficult to get that first Nissa off and you really need to. And so like having a cheap instant speed removal spell to do it is super important. So that's one of the one of the ways that I read this. I think it's interesting as well that Corey's running one copy of Ranger's Guile in the main deck. It's that open deck list thing, man. Yeah, I guess so. I love it. I mean, I love it. Ever since that card was printed, I've had my eye on it. I'm gonna, you know, I'm like the Ranger's Guile fanboy, and I haven't been running it because I just, it just seems like there's not a lot of spot removal in the format. I'm just curious whether it's actually going to end up being good. But clearly Corey thought that it was good enough to run main and also heroic intervention in the board, which is another card where I looked at it and I was like, okay, like this seems like it could be good. But then when you actually think about how it plays out, eh, is it going to be good? I don't know. It's been giving me, it's been annoying for me, the blue-white wrath mage. Yeah. Of course, most of my stories will end with me winning anyway because I just wait till like turn seven so I can like to fairy. Exactly. And then in response, they cast heroic intervention, giving their creatures indestructible, and I plus to fairy, and then I shatter the sky on their turn. But I, it does make me play differently, I suppose. Yeah. And that's that's better than just you know getting swept. Quite frankly, it is. I just think like in a meta with Ugin as a top end, heroic intervention looks pretty laughable. Oh yeah, so. you don't want it there. That's why sideboard, man. Yeah, don't. It's, it's pretty rough against Ugin. I'm just trying to think about there might actually be creature matchups where heroic intervention could actually be good for you, like help you win a key combat, something like that, or even just two mana prevent a removal spell. Are you suggesting attackers and blockers? Like, like, like interacting with each other? What? I've been doing a lot of creature combat on the ladder, my friend. And, 
Yeah, it's actually one of the reasons I've been enjoying this standard format is because there are, you know, there's like a lot of mono black aggro. There's still a lot of red, you know, mono red on the ladder. There's people playing paw blade, there's stuff like this. So Yeah, this is the best of one advantage where aggro is still good in best of one. Yes. So you and I actually know what it's like either to swing or get swung on. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So let's move on and start talking about some of these decks. There was a red, mono-red list in the top eight, but it's literally running no new cards, and I don't know that we need to talk about it at all. Literally nothing. Yeah. Just zero. Zero new cards okay. in the deck. There's Sometimes also... you wake up and you're red. <laughs> the, there's a there's a John Midrange deck in the top eight, and I believe the only new card that they're running in this list is one copy of Solemn Simulacrum. I also see two Scavenging Ooze. Oh, two scavenging ooze. That's right. Yep, two scavenging. But for the ooze. most part, it's the Jun deck you know and love. With I think the the big thing here is we got two Citadels, two Corvold, so it's a little indecisive on its top end engine. But I mean, they both win the game. Darn it. Yeah. And we see them going down to claim the Firstborns and three Priest, kind of giving this nod that creatures don't matter, which right. is a theme in the top eight, aside from our one mono green hero. You and I have both kind of alluded to it, but it's just kind of the case where if you want to be a, a top mythic gamer, then you need to worry about these mid, these kind of long mid-range and control decks. And if you want to be a best of one mythic gamer, you do have to respect the aggro plans more. So that's kind of like a lot of the disparity that you're going to see in the deck lists on, on those two versions of the ranked ladder. And that's why we're important. Because if... Yeah, if a best of one mage, there's a lot of people who are going to do this. You guys will see it on ladder. Listeners, you're going to see it on ladder already. People are going to go snipe these lists and they're going to go play best of one ladder with it. Yeah. And they're going to they're going to get they're going to be confused. Why is it not going the way they want to? It's because they're very different formats. Yeah, like if you're running team Iraq in best of one, you'd best be running either the Scorching Dragonfire or the Soul Seer or just some whatever it is, right? Maybe even main decking one or more copies of Storm's Wrath because otherwise you're going to get got by some dumb paw blade deck and you're going to feel like an idiot. I think that that's enough on the SCG tour that we can talk about today i just kind of wanted to check in with you about what you've been seeing on the ladder cgb i have some notes here i'm sure that you also have some thoughts so like what what's the metagame looking like to you just in the day-to-day yeah the metagame i'm struggling i'm actually struggling with it because it's very polarized now On one hand, you've got the really aggressive red decks. People are going to play red no matter what. Mono black is starting to creep up there. I probably see one mono green a day. It's still pretty rare considering how effective some people think it is. Uh, But uh, yeah, there's still a lot of aggression. I've seen more gruel than I thought I would see. Like just gruel with scavenging ooze and pretty much doing its thing. But the sacrifice decks are still really good and they attack from a different angle outside of combat. That reoccurring damage, reoccurring value, it's very hard to manage. And then if you somehow battle both of those, you've got the people who are still like on 3-4 Ugin, Bant and... Um, and what would you say? Bant and Simic probably are the two I see the most. And those like those decks are just very straightforward. All in, I'm going to get to Ugin. Ugin will win the game. And you can build your deck with concessions to, to attacking all of these. But 
it's really hard to make sure you draw them in the right matchups, and it's also really hard to like even know what a good hand is sometimes and what you're keeping against. So the latter is all over the place. I don't think best of one has a consensus best deck, like best of three has this boogie boogeyman of the format like Bant Ramp and Teamer that we know and love and are trying to figure out how to beat. In best of one, it's like you don't know what you're up against. Is it going to be play no creatures and smash you with Ugin? Or is it going to be kill you on turn three? And I I don't know. I've I've had a lot of trouble with this. It seems like every time I skew my deck in one direction, I get completely nailed in the other. <laughs> you know what I mean? The second the other day I jumped on ladder and I had this sweet Golgari Veto mid range a combo deck that I really liked. And then I played against Ugin like five matches in a row. Five in a row. It's just no chance. Just, just no chance. Yeah. I got I got nothing in that matchup. So then I switched to Simic Flash. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you. I'm going to rewind. going to rewind your Ugin. And I played against nothing but all these aggro decks for the rest of the day. Yeah. So it's a, it's been a battle. My my experience has been kind of tough. How about you? I've just been doing what I enjoy doing on the best of one ladder, which is just playing a fairly linear kind of aggro deck with a proactive plan and hoping to get there. I've been refining my my green white counters list and you know, did pretty well. It got me into diamond with a 67% win rate. So I'm going to keep working on that, see if I can get it to mythic, see if it's up to the task. That deck's been pretty fun, but I totally agree with you. I like the ladder, the best of one ladder does feel all over the place. Uh, let's talk about some of, of these specific things that we're seeing. So another notable achievement in this last week is we saw arena player Witch uh, reach number one mythic playing mono black aggro. So that deck clearly can, can hold its own. You know, we didn't. It, it didn't top eight the SCG event, but it's clearly a deck which is capable of laying on the beats, and it's basically doing your kind of what you would imagine the deck's doing. It's putting the embrace on the dinosaur and just hoping to get there. Yeah, I did some work with Mono Black. Mm-hmm. I like it. I did something different for Best of One, where it was like, all right, we've got four of this aura in our deck what if we added the hateful idol on oh nice so if they actually kill the creature we get some replacement effect with drawing cards and that made me turn eliminate the removal spells like eliminate and grasp of darkness we turned those into myers grasp and dead weight to go with the idol on and that was really effective because best of one has a lot of small creature strategies but it's another one of those things where you don't want to draw those in bad matchups yeah but i i found it pretty good I I thought it was definitely consistent. The mana, like when you're not used to playing monocolor beatdown, and you like you you look at your hands and you're like, that's a keep, that's a keep, that's a keep, that's a keep. It's got creatures, it's got two or three lands, it's a keep. It feels really good after trying to manage like three color mana bases with tap lands and castles and all this. So th- this was my experience playing against the mono black aggro deck because I haven't played with it is that this deck feels like the most all-in aggro deck that I've seen on the ladder. It's, it's Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's just oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like 
kill him quick or bust you know yeah and i you know i kind of like actually your eidolon version of the deck because i think it solves one of the biggest problems that i saw with the deck which is just a almost total lack of card advantage you're a deck which okay if you play a rotting regisaur untap with it discard a card and then put an embrace on it and then your opponent kills the reggie before it hits i mean I don't need you to tell me how much card disadvantage you just incurred <laughs> with that sequence of events, right? Yeah, so, and there were a lot of there are a lot of games where you hug your dino and pray. <laughs> exactly, it's just nothing else. <laughs> so it it was kind of ironic because you know I was playing with with like this Selesnia deck, which also doesn't particularly have very much card advantage in it, and I was just totally out carding these decks because. I had Basri's lieutenants, and when my creatures died, I got two twos. And when my opponent's creatures died, they turned into counters on my scavenging ooze. And I, you know, like I had a surprising amount of reach in the matchup, and they really didn't. So that was kind of like one of my big knocks on the deck was I just felt like if Plan A, like if if Plan A plus didn't work, I felt like you died. The deck just doesn't really feel like it has a Plan B. I feel like Castle Lockthwain is is really not the plan B that you want to be leaning on to get it done with this deck. I'll give you an old magic, a good old magic saying. When you kill your opponent who has six cards in their hand, it's a six for O. That, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. So I think that this is for the, this is for the brave gamers. This is not for the coward gamers. You've got to yeah, believe your cards, believe they're going to get you there. So I, I did actually want to talk about Blue-Green Flash a little bit, and people are actually playing Rewind. And I don't know, like we, we were a little bit down on this card in our set review because we just felt like it was so weak to Mystical Dispute. But turns out that if you do actually resolve a Rewind, that's a pretty massive tempo swing in a game of Magic, right? I mean, if your opponent resolves Rewind on your turn four counts as something and untaps you've got to feel like you probably just lost that game yeah the ideal rewind situation is so discouraging and so powerful because the ideal rewind situation is that you're on the play and you have growth spiral so on turn three you're going to rewind their spell and play your night pack ambusher and have another counter spell in your hand and there's just it's over it's beyond game like, over it, it, it's over, man. We're done. And the, the the truth is that is a powerful play pattern. Very hard to beat. Um, somebody, I was running blue green flash. Somebody did give me a very hard time where I had that play pattern, and I countered their mayhem devil. And I actually had two rewinds. I I countered their mayhem devil. I countered a witch's oven oh, and then no. i played the ambusher and the next turn they cast another mayhem devil oh, no. and like it was an epic game that i you know my my good stories always end with me winning i did eventually win but it like that was that was what it took it took three mayhem devils and like two witches ovens and a corvold from them to even give me a run for my money so then not draw like, basically yeah, yeah yeah they're not yeah and it does feel like, it's another one of those super polarizing draws where if they have this, it's so frustrating. So as the opponent, it's like, well, I didn't play any magic today. And I do hate that those exist, but the fact that it is present means some people are going to try it. The The question comes down to consistency. And it doesn't feel... It feels like the problem with Blue-Green Flash is still that it doesn't have the card advantage. 
if it if it can't do that then eventually they run out of counters. Eventually they run out of things to do. Eventually something powerful resolves. Eventually Hydroid Crisis runs away with the game on the other side or some card advantage engine takes hold. So I think it's a problem, but we'll see. Blue-green flash against um, mono-green. Let's, let's go. Yeah. I want to know what that's like. Yeah. I, I, I have no idea. It's probably a fun matchup. I actually, I think I watched that matchup at the CFB Pro event last weekend, and it was it was a really exciting matchup. Uh, I do, I think the Flash player won. Yeah, they were also uh, this is pretty fun. They were bringing in Elder Gargaroth out of the sideboard, and I'll Ooh. tell you what, that is an effective sideboard option against basically any aggro deck. That's nice. If you can ramp into that, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, like, I was actually watching your video, CGB, your Sublime Epiphany video, and, like, that Elder Gargaroth just, like, single-handedly shut down the mono red deck. It's like, how can they ever, ever, ever beat that card? We kind of laughed at it being a green Baneslayer angel because Baneslayer is not great right now. Yeah. But the point is that Baneslayer is great. It's the format context of what's most popular. But if you're in a matchup where that's not the case, then, you know, it's really freaking good. And green, a deck like Simic Flash hasn't had access to anything like that. A, a five mana giant monster that just takes over the game on its own. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Flash in the past had to play Lovestruck Beast to try to have some game against red decks. And admittedly, that is also a quite a good card against the mono red deck, but it's not an Elder Gargaroth, that's for sure. I think that Gargaroth actually highlights the fact... Okay, so you say that it's a Baneslayer Angel, but would Baneslayer Angel be good against mono red right now? My guess is probably not that good. Oh, it's fine. I As long... Like, it, it can probably not... It keeps you from completely losing to most things that they do. Even other than Embercleave on Annex, you're covered. Yeah. You know? I just think like the, the Gargaroth having more toughness and giving you the benefit like when you declare the block as opposed to when the combat actually happens, I think are a number of things in its favor. So yeah, I think Gargaroth is definitely not the kind of card you want to main deck, but I think coming out of the board against people who aren't playing the big, scary, over-the-top decks in the format, it probably does pretty well. Agree. Okay, let's talk about Terror of the Peaks, because that's the other. That's kind of like the other side of the Gargaroth coin in the format. People have actually been having a lot of fun with this deck. I've seen a deck going around. I know that Yeoman 5 brewed a version of this deck. I don't know if uh, he was the originator of the deck, but a Teamer Elementals build running Terror of the Peaks, basically just trying to ramp it out or get it on the board with the uh, Emergent Ultimatum. Mm-hmm. I-, I heard Brad Nelson talking about this. I- I've played it a few times. How about you? Yeah, I, I have not played it. Actually... I have not played it myself. I've played against it. I think I've managed to smash it every time because because my kind of like mid-range aggro deck was just faster than what they were trying to do. But it's definitely the kind of deck where like if they resolve a couple of ultimatums, it's pretty much game over on the spot. Yeah, this this deck is going over the top of a bunch of decks trying to go over the top. And I I still don't, like when I think about it, like facing off against the Teamer Wreck deck that Aaron used to win 
the SCG, it's like, I don't think it goes even big enough, even with Genesis Ultimatum and Terror. No. Uh, yeah, I know, weird, because the explosion still strikes face. But I do love that this deck has a few copies of Yorian. Oh my gosh, Yorian and Terror of the Peaks. <laughs> Savage. I I wish I'd thought of that one. Um, yeah. I, I have enjoyed Terror of the Peaks in various Gruel decks and seeing what it can do. Then I got into Teamer Terror of the Peaks with Uro. Uro, Uro and Terror is amazing. Nasty. Yeah. Yeah, just nasty. Six damage for three mana, and you gain life, and you draw a card. And if you have four more mana, you do it again. I think what we and some other people missed about Terror of the Peaks is that it's not the card that you resolve on turn four or five, spending all your mana on it. It's the card that you try to resolve on turn six or seven when you have like 10 plus mana on the board, when you can either just ultimatum into it or whether you can just throw it down with an aura, right? And I think if you manage to get something like that off, then you've already got your money's worth out of it, more or less. Sure. That's probably what we all missed about this card, is that we were used to thinking of it as a card that you would just tap out for as soon as you could, and I just that's not really the way that you want to play it. I'm pretty sure we signed off last week with me saying I was going to work on Terror of the Peaks and Genesis Ultimatum. Oh, that's right. It was Genesis, not Emergent Ultimatum. I always get them confused, but yes. <laughs> sure, sure. Yes. There's a lot of <laughs> Or you just rewrite my history to make me wrong. <laughs> It's a fun combo, and I've seen, I watched Bloody play this list on stream, and she got Ugined, and boy, did it not matter. She untapped nice. with 20 lands and a copy of Genesis Ultimatum in hand, and it was just off to the races again. Ugin, who cares about an Ugin? Sounds fun. So yeah, this deck can definitely, like, if you get into the mid to late game with it, it can just be pretty unstoppable. What else is happening here in standard uh, some people have been talking about blue white flyers making a re-emergence with cards like lofty denial and uh the card i'm forgetting the 2-2 flyer that makes her flyers cheaper i've run into this deck on ladder a little bit and while it does seem better than the flyers lists of yesteryear i'm not really sure that it is adding enough to like actually be a top deck have you played against it cgb I've played against it and a little bit with it, even though it's usually not my cup of tea. But a two-mana counter spell in Lofty Denial seems makes it appeals a little more to my nature. The deck has the same problems that all two-color aggro decks seem to have in this format, which is that they just can't curve out reliably with mana the current way that it is. And, uh, you know, Once Upon a Time was supposed to be our mana fixing for this format for aggro and had to be banned for various real reasons. But now you're just stuck with kind of a bunch of basics or tap lands and you can't do what you need to do. But I I do think it might be best of one... Um, I think it might be best of one worthy. I think it, it could be a deck. It's very difficult to beat it with ramp or any kind of go over the top strategy here's another point i'll give to mono green because i learned this really quickly uh playing a flyers deck and playing with demonic embrace why does every freaking card in that deck have reach yes yes what the, when did this happen i thought flyers were supposed to be good against green decks no everything just it's probably on questing beast if you keep reading Everything has reach. I think I've it's run so versions annoying. of Mono Green that had literally 12 reaches in them. <laughs> I'm not happy. 
it's not okay. Yeah, it comes up. It comes up. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you build your evasive aggro deck expecting it to, oh, I don't know, evade something. And your opponent has an arboreal grazer and a stone cold serpent and a gem razor and a crawl harpooner on the freaking battlefield. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to tolerate. Green's really got the skies covered lately, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean there should be double flying. You yeah, know, should high be able flying, to fly over right? something with reach. Yeah. Stratosphere. Yeah. <laughs> Stratosphere. <laughs> But uh, I mean, the the blue white is okay. I I still think Rally with Wings is a pretty good card. Brazen Borrower is a good card for it. I think that Safara is terrible. If yeah. if any of you are running the tap my four flyers to make a seven seven angel, I think if you get away from that and focus on leaving up mana for Lofty Denial, you'll be in a better place. I'm so with you. I'm playing the Angelic Ascension card. Oh, I think that's what's called. Yeah, in yeah, the Flyers yeah. deck. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That card needs to see more play. I I mean, maybe it's just not the right time for it, but I'll be shocked if there's a standard in which that card's not pretty good. Especially after Teferi rotates. So I would definitely try it in this list for sure. I also just wanted to note that some of these Gruel decks have been playing Rada. And I I don't know, are we still not a buyer on Rada? or, Or is it proving its metal a little bit? I've played a number of lands off of my Rada. I've also been in a lot of situations where tapping the six mana to make it huge with an Ember Cleave was my only chance to win. I I still don't like it, though. It just feels too slow. It feels like you're giving the opponent too much opportunity to do the thing their deck wants to do, which is probably more powerful than yours. I'm not a fan. It's not terrible, but... I, I just think you should be make, making the opponent die faster, I think, for this meta. Yeah, I saw Andrea Mangucci trying it out in his Gruel deck, and he ended up replacing it with Rhythm of the Wild, <laughs> of all things. So if wow. that tells you anything about what's important in this format, which is haste. If you're playing Gruel, your creatures need to say haste on them, or have a very good reason why they don't say haste on them. So I think that that still stands. I mean, people forget about the Hellkite, but like, Hellkite is still a card, you know? Oh, sure. I I put out a Gruel video this last week with four Hellkites and four Terrors and four Radas. Ooh, alright. So we're really talking like big Gruel here. Yeah, big Gruel. Um, I think the only two drops were like, if you count Bonecrusher Giant, Arboreal Grazer, and uh, Marauding Raptor. This is what I want to see. I'm sure this has happened, right? But like a Gruel player running out of gas who's forced to attack with an Arboreal Grazer and put a sword on it? <laughs> Dude, no, no, no. That, 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 does, that matters. <laughs> that that Grazer up, attacker right? to cleave is important. Been there, done that. Love it, love it. Just the bravest and, you know, Sir, Sir Grazer at your service. That's <laughs> as active as that sloth gets. <laughs> All right, well, that's been kind of a a fair roundup, I think, of standard week one. Moving into week two, what are you going to be playing on the ladder, CGB? What are your thoughts about how you want to be attacking this matter? I actually have a lot of different red, black, and jund uh, food, basically a lot of Witches Oven decks that I haven't had enough time to figure out if they are good now. White cat oven decks that might want to run luminous broodmoth have cards like selfless savior now that are very interesting to me in jund i've got 
uh, a deck that I'm calling Jun Dragons, where I cut, like, Claim the Firstborn and Priest from the Jun Sacrifice deck, and instead I play the Gadrak. Nice. Makes treasures, yeah. right? And I play that with a bunch of Mayhem Devils, a bunch of Korobolds, and I've got a bunch of food cards, including four copies of Giant Opportunity. Oh, to make, snap. Yeah, to make the three foods, so I have all these things to attack with the Gadric with, and then uh, get the treasures to sack to the Mayhem Devil and the Korvold. It's kind of gross. How about Solemn Simulacrum? That seems like it might be a good fit for that deck. I don't... I mean, it's an artifact. I just don't a think little I slow, maybe want that much mana. Yeah. yeah, usually, though, the way that it works is if I actually play a Gadric and untap with it, now I need to make things die quickly. And if I spend my turn on here's a Solomon some ramp, I didn't make enough uh, treasures. Because what you want out of the Gadric, you want to get like one good attack in, then assume something bad happens to it because everybody ignores it. Nobody thinks you're going to giant opportunity you know, and make three foods out of nowhere. So you want like one attack out of it, but then you want a big pile of treasures. You want to make a lot of things die so that your Mayhem Devil and your Corval goes absolutely ballistic. Mm. So I, don't think Solemn, I don't think Solemn is chipping in there, but more things that make food. Like I used to have Ginger Brute in this deck because, it, you know, it's a food. Yeah, food. it's know, a so food and it. an artifact. Gotta love that. Well, if you have a witch's oven and a ginger brute and a cat, you can sacrifice the ginger brute to the cat, bring back the cat, put it in the oven, and you get two treasures for the Gadrak. You know, side note on the ginger brute, you know what's the biggest tilt with that card? And I watched someone do this against my friend Doug Sluggins on the stream last night. So that card has two activated abilities. One of them is the one that you always want to use, and the other one eats the food. And so there's this person who is getting ready to swing in with their two ginger roots, ate one of them, (laughs) and you see this long pause, and then the next one gets activated to get through with the ability. (laughs) So just got to be careful if you're running that card in your deck. (laughs) That's a good one. That one should have a, are you sure? Yeah, are you sure? (laughs) Exactly. Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to be sticking to my guns, playing what I like. I'm going to be trying to refine this Selesnia list to actually see if it can keep up with the mono green in the standard. So I'll be reporting back on that, an amount that is appropriate to maintain our friendship. (laughs) (laughs) Friendship. (laughs) To to maintain your motivation to co-host on this podcast. Okay, okay. No, no, no. I am doing a service by being here, by balancing out this mono green, like, (laughs) strong bias, as if attacking with a gem razor on a stone cold serpent is all that Magic the Gathering is about. I'm doing doing my due diligence for the, like, 10% of listeners out there who are evil like me and believe that just exiling all your permanence is the way that we should be playing Magic the Gathering. I feel like I'm the Michael J. Flores to your Patrick Chapin. Every time they talk, the conversation ends up being through the lens of mono red because MJ just <laughs> plays so much mono red and Patrick's just like not here for it. <laughs> These are boomer magic podcasters, for those of you wondering. Top level podcast. Who, who I love and yeah, top level podcast who I love and respect. That wonderful. And I use boomer. Boomer is an affectionate term. <laughs> Yeah, so go go check them out for sure. They're, they're really worth listening to. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for us for this week. Thanks so much for joining us again for another episode. You can find ArenaCraft Podcast in most of the places you might want to find it. Please subscribe in your podcast listening app of choice. Oh, and actually, I wanted to say one thing, CGB. I wanted to give a call out. Let's see if I can pull this up real quick. 
I was looking at our iTunes account for ArenaCraft podcast. We got a review. We got this. We got this little review in there. There, there are a number of them, but we recently had a review by a user named RK Chapman saying CGB is the best! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! He is the best. Subscribe now. So saying you are the best once was not sufficient for Rick Chapman. He had to say it again. And I just wanted to shout this out because people really like CGB, and I know that a lot of your audience listen to this podcast. And for every iTunes review that you leave that says something about CGB, I will read it on the show and make him blush and laugh. So just <laughs> uh, just just wanted to put put the word out there. <laughs> you know, like my YouTube audience is going to eat this up and say nice stuff, they're sweethearts. But if the Twitch audience hears this, oh, you are going to get oh no, this is going to go bad. <laughs> this I'm is just saying. Get just just put put. Let, no, let's get this right. Let's get this right. I, I need to know for sure. Okay. Any review, does it have to be, it should be five stars. Any five-star review that mentions me and uses reasonable language, let's just say, Arjuna will read on the cast. Is that accurate? That non-profane language is my bar. Okay. There you go, guys. It can be either positive or negative about CGB, but just use your, you know, use your parlor language. Use your dinner party language. <laughs> Say it to my face, baby. Say, say it to his face. So, yeah, so you can find us on iTunes, and uh, we also are on YouTube. And then the Discord's been kind of popping lately, so you can find the link to that in the show notes if you want as well. And you can also follow CGB's content, Covert, Go Blue, and all the places. He is on YouTube. That's an excellent place to see his daily content. He also streams Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern. So that's a really excellent way to catch him. And uh, CGB, I'm looking forward to revisiting the standard format next week. Thank you. I am really looking forward to it. And uh, thank you for all those kind words. I just want to say that, Arjuna, you are also streaming. So join the Discord and watch for when Arjuna does his mono green and limited whatever that is streamy things. Yeah, I've I've been wanting to stream lately. I've it's a, had a combination of like various regular life stuff that's been getting in the way of it. But yes, I have been streaming a little bit more, and I hope to continue streaming a little bit more with each month. So thanks for that shout out. All right, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next week. Later. Beep.